Hi, I'm Jason Sautel, and welcome to Jesus is All We Need on the Edify Podcast Network, a show that explores selfless and unique stories that remind us why Jesus is truly all we need. On today's show, we are blessed to have Peter Mutabazi. Peter is an amazing and inspirational man, and I just can't wait to unpack his story and talk about his life and uh, his organization and just everything that he does uh, to promote the kingdom and uh, draw people through Jesus in such a unique and inspiring way. Peter, welcome to the show. Thank you, Jason, for having me here. Oh, man, it's so great to have you here. Peter, where are you right now? I'm in Charlotte, North Carolina. It's warm here today, so it's beautiful. Oh, great. Yeah, I'm in Northern California, just below Lake Tahoe, so it's a little chilly right now. So people can't see us, but that's why I'm all bundled up in a sweater, because I don't do cold very well. I love to ski. I love the cold, just not for seven seven months. (laughs) Yeah, that's exactly it. Anyways, um, again, thanks for uh, coming on the show. Peter, so you have an amazing story that I've been kind of following, learning, and reading about on social media, and uh, some people pointed me your direction because of what you do, and believe it or not, we have a few parallels in our life in, in when it comes to fostering and maybe a little bit of our childhood, and I just kind of wanted to talk about that. Now, where were you born and raised? I was born and raised in, in Uganda, the border of Uganda and Rwanda, in a small, small, small village called Kabale. That's where I was born. Great. And what was childhood like in your uh, village there? Oh, my goodness. Childhood, you know. I, I didn't really have a good childhood. You know, I grew up in a place where uh, most kids who die, who were born would die before the age of two. So actually, I was not given a name until when I was two. And at two, my name called, my, my mom called me a, a, a God-given gift. So that's what my last name means. So grew up really poor. Think about, I, I tried to explain to American what poverty is in Africa. Think about that we could never afford two meals a day. We could never afford uh, beans and potatoes. I grew up on, I could only have beans or have potatoes because we couldn't have both. It would be, you know, that would be too much food in some way that we could not afford. And we could have a food, you know, uh, one day or every other day. And so life was miserable in every shape, form, you know. No one ever told me to dream. No one ever told me to even hope, you know. It's hard for a mom if they can't feed you for a night to somehow tell you to dream for for the future. Uh, so that's kind of uh, my background, just poor, uh, the poor, the poorest. We went to fetch water about three miles away. So it would take us, a, you know, I started going there at four years old. So it would take hours just to get clean water. So life wow. was uh, uh, just, uh, uh, yes, miserable in every shape form. And then at the age of four, I began to realize that not only were we poor, uh, but I had the most abusive dad as well. Wow. So for me, life was miserable in every shape, form uh, you could think of. Right. You know, Peter, and <clears throat> when I was growing up in Southern California, uh, you know, poor and poverty just looks different in America than it does other places. Because here, I'll be honest with you, what we consider poor and poverty may be a little bit of uncomfortableness, not having what everyone else has that we think is going to make us happy. But it is very rare and someone is, unless someone is under a system of abuse and being kept away that there's starvation. You know, there, mm-hmm. there is healthcare. It may not be the best level of healthcare, and I don't want to get into that level by any means and go down that road. 
But here in America, we, we are blessed to have so much because there are a lot of systems that can take care of us when we're down on our luck. But it sounds like where you grew up, those systems just were not in place. Is that kind of a correct assessment? Absolutely. There is no system. If you got sick, you know, most people would die before they can afford to pay Ooh. to go to the hospital. Even the closest hospital could, you know, in my case was a hundred miles away. So it was really no uh, opportunity. You know, you, you, in some way you're, trying to survive for a day that you never really think or plan for a week. Right. You know, uh, I, I mean, I love what you do. You know, I pay taxes uh, for one mm. reason, because I can call 911. Right. Or if there was a fire <laughs> in my house, the, the firefighters will, will show up. Where I come from, there's nothing like that. Right. There's no, not even opportunity for you to send your child to school. There wasn't mm. any that you had to pay. And sometimes it was just $2 to pay for a term or a semester. But if you cannot make $2 a day or a dollar a day, how do you really afford to send someone to school? or even feed them. So uh, absolutely, it was is really uh, difficult for sure. Yeah. And, you know, when I grew up, I felt kind of hopeless because you mentioned something about growing up in an abusive home with an abusive father. Well, I did too. My mom moved 500 miles away when I was seven or eight years old to get away from my dad because she didn't want to be under his abuse anymore. And her plan was to come back for me, but she never did because she mm -hmm. just couldn't. You know, she didn't have the means and he did. And I felt a lot of hopelessness during that time. And I'm just going to ask you, with, with the way that you grew up, and then also along with the, the poverty that you grew up in, was there a lot of hopelessness feelings in your early childhood? Oh, yes, absolutely. I mean, I never, I never looked at the future or that there was a way even to give me a glimpse that there was a future for me, like nothing. We could barely have a meal. I mean, I didn't have shoes when I, until when I was 16 years old. I didn't have another pair of clothes apart from one for Sunday. So for me, there was absolutely no glimpse of hope in any way, shape, form, you know? But had you also told me to dream for the next day, today was so bad that I didn't really want to know about tomorrow because you knew what's today will come tomorrow. So I didn't even want to hope if there was anything to hope for absolutely, because just the day today was harsh and hard enough uh, for us as kids. Peter, that you know, and I think that's something that a lot of people feel it can resonate through is that today is so hard, regardless of the circumstances of where they are, whether they're, they're in Uganda or whether they're here in America, if, if they're truly personally in a place where they feel hopeless, you're so right. It's hard to think about tomorrow. And I kind of grew up like that too, of like, man, I'm just trying to get through today of not, not, being beaten and not being, you know, treated horrible. And, and then I would leave the house. And because I didn't feel good about who I was, I also felt hopeless out in society too. So I totally understand what you're talking about when you say about tomorrow. And that's the, the thing that draws me to people like you and your stories is because what I see in you is a man that grew up feeling hopeless, but I have an idea you probably still feel that. Not, not that you feel hopeless today, but you can reach back into that and say, I don't want other people to feel like that. Okay. And, and you want to bring them some hope. And, and now I'm hearing that you're starting to do that. And what are some things that you're doing to, to help people that are feeling hopeless? 
Well, Jason, so, you know, so at age of 10, I ran away from home. You know, I like you, you said you, you ran away, you know, you, you went 500 miles away. I went 500 kilometers away. I had never been 20 miles away. And I ran away at the age of 10 and became a street kid for five years. I lived on the streets of Kampala, you know, as hopeless as, as you could think of. At home, I was called a I, I mean, I was told I would, I would never amount to anything. I was good for nothing. On the streets, I was more treated more like a stray animal. Like I, literally, I wasn't a human being. So for four years, that was my life. But in the midst of that, a stranger fed me once and he got to ask me my name. For five years, no one had ever asked me my name. And he asked my name, hey, kid, what's your name? And I said, my name is Peter. And that really, in some way, not like changed my life, but it made me stop to want to know more because he wanted to know my name. And, you know, he got to know him. He fed me once, once a week or once a month. And within 12 months, he offered me an opportunity to go to school. And wow. I went to school, not because I wanted to be anybody, but for the first time in my entire life, someone saw the best in me that I didn't see in me. He saw potential in me that I didn't see in myself, you know, and changed my life. And, and he began using words of affirmation. And, and that really, really began to hear, wow, I'm not alone. Wow, I am a gift. Wow, I am seen. Wow, I'm chosen. Wow. Yes. And that really changed how I, it, it was like, I don't know, guys, you know, we have a fish in, in, in Uganda, the tilapia, and it has scales on it. And in order to eat it, you, you have to remove the scales to get it ready. And that's kind of how by using words of affirmation, it felt like he was removing those scales off me to see myself as a human being, you know? Yes. So then when I came to the United States, of course, you know, I think about you come from Africa to Los Angeles, like, uh, you know, day and night, you know? And right. I was, a little I was a little surprised by just the wealth, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think with that too, for me to come from the poor, the poorest and live in the most luxurious country on the planet, I think mm. came with guilt as well, you know, that I had been given so much that I had an opportunity to live here, but none of my kids, none of my relatives, none of the millions of people in my village that came to the United States. And so there was that source of, you know, too much is given, much is required, that I wanted to give more, that I wanted to right. do more, you know. So I, I, I went to the foster care system. I said, hey, I would like to mentor uh, teenagers and wow. they said, hey, have you ever thought of being a foster dad? I was like, well, I don't think I qualify. And they're like, why? I said, I'm single. They're like, no, single people can be foster parents. So, so I signed up uh, that day and became a foster parent five months later. Well, okay. So let's let's talk about this. And I'm, I'm going to be blunt here as a farmer. So you move from Africa to California. Correct. You're probably feeling, like you said, overwhelmed. Right. And going, oh my gosh, there's so much going on. And what do you do? You immediately hop in to helping. I mean, that, wow. And I mean, to, to, I want the listeners just to understand that, that sometimes we feel so overwhelmed with the, the, the struggles that we're going through and the pain and all this. But this man came to America from another country and said, how can I help others who used to struggle like me? I mean, that's just amazing, Peter. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. So you hop in and start fostering kids. What was that like, that experience like at first? 
well, I think for me, I, I understood where they came from. I knew our foster kids, you know, of course the system is overloaded, but I knew these are kids coming from hard places who are looking to be loved, who are looking to be known, who are looking for someone to say, you're special. And because I had been that kid at some point that I really wanted to do that. And I didn't want to wait. You know, sometimes I think we, God put something on our heart to do and we're like, well, until I get money, maybe I'll do that. Until I get that. You know, I think for me, I didn't want to wait until I get married or or have money, but just because I had one extra bedroom that I wanted it to be a source of a blessing for a kid. And that's all I wanted to do in some way, yeah. truly doing what someone had done for me. You know, right. uh, again, I, I, could not, I could not sleep knowing there was a kid in the neighborhood that didn't have where to go. That's so amazing. And uh, something I keep hearing you say in your reiterating over and over, because it's just coming naturally from you, are words of affirmation. You huh. keep bringing that up. And I agree because affirming words are amazing because when I was growing up, I was basically told I was a burden. I was just in people's way. No one cared for me. And in the American school system, when I went to school, I showed up and I didn't have the books. I didn't have the proper clothes. And I, I was also then talked down upon by the teachers. So mm. at school, teachers would say, why aren't you ready? Why aren't you prepared? Why aren't you this? And you don't have everything. And you need to tell your parents that you need this, this, this. Well, imagine then me being a child going home and saying, hey, dad, my teacher says I need this, this, and this, and he's an abusive man. That's mm. not going to work well whatsoever. No. So I never had those words of affirmation. Mm. And that is why I'm in such agreement with you that we need to choose our words wisely and kindly because they were given to us from God. Absolutely. And all things given to us by God, he wants us to steward. And so mm. we can even talk about, and I don't want to go off in too far one direction, but you know, people talking about snowflakes in America and oh, hurt feelings over stuff. And I, I do have my certain feelings of like, well, there's stuff that bothers me that maybe shouldn't. So just let it go. But let's be honest, we can say some very hurtful things on purpose, but also on accident because we don't get to know other people. Correct. And I learned that in the firehouse early on that maybe I came from a culture over here. Someone else came from a culture way over here. And it's not that we hated each other, but without learning each other, I have to understand that I could say some stuff that could be very hurtful to that culture, mm. not on purpose. But if you think about it, because I'm not learning one another, nor doing everything out of love, it kind mm. of is on purpose. And that's why it's so important to get to know one another, learn their stories, especially the younger ones like you did. So mm. you can give them words of affirmation because just a kind word, look what it did to you in your childhood. Right. And look where it's carried you now. Right. You know, I've had 16 kids. Right now I have four, you know, and I can say I can give them the best meal. I can give them the best bed, whatever you call it. But without those words to affirm them that, hey, you belong, you're chosen, you're not a mistake, you are chosen, you know, to look in their eyes and say, you are brave for what you've gone through and you can still smile. That will take them miles and miles ahead because that's what takes away of the the lies they've had every I, I, just right. like you this is what i had i never had one positive word from my dad i was mm -hmm. garbage i was useless i never that's what i had every day mm -hmm. and i believed it I really believed it because I was useless. And then on the streets, I was called garbage, that I was mm -hmm. nothing. Yeah, that's what I had. But for this stranger to somehow 
like see see the best in me when I was my lowest. You know, I'm I'm a thief. I'm dirty. I am nobody. But he、Ooh. says you matter. You know, that's all I needed to hear. He could have given me all the food he could, but him saying, Peter, ah,、uh, you matter. You know,、right. look him and say, ah,、uh, Peter, you. You are a gift to us as a family that you've taught us to learn, to love, and to love unconditionally, and that really built me. That gave me、uh, somehow the energy to say, you know what? I think I have a potential.、Right. I've heard it. I see it. You know,、uh, and 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 you're right.、Uh, sometimes we we're quick to see the negative in people. You know, that I think sometimes it's good to see the positive. And if you want、right. to help along the way, <laughs> go to the negative, but、yeah. give them. The positive first. Yeah, yeah. There's there's times where I do agree. We got to let super negative people that are just drowning us down. You know, I I never say、I、turn my back on them, but I might let them walk alone for a while while I'm praying for them and coming up ways to to help them not be so negative. But the problem being is we're just you know I can't speak worldwide, but I can speak from a view here that I see. In California or America, that it seems like we're just drawn to negativity.、If、people are、mm. when you look at the messages. It's like messages of hope. Are they lighting up all the media? Are they lighting up all the news stations? Are they lighting up the internet? Well, no, they're not. You can find them, but you really have to search them out. So、right. to be someone like you, who is a beacon of hope, who is the hands and feet of Christ, that is living out the 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 scriptures, if you will, is such a blessing. Because when you talk to me about you know reaching out to these kids, what I think about is you know, and, and you bring up the oh, as a thief, I was garbage, I was nothing. Isn't that who Jesus was sent? To save, he wasn't here for the religious crowd. He wasn't here for those. He was here to tell them, "Nah, y'all are wrong on what you guys are doing." Okay,、right. but we are here for the hurt, the loss, the 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 outcasts, if you will. Right. And and so you and by no means am I calling a. I don't want to label someone in the foster system an outcast, you will, because that's a horrible thing. But if you think about it from society, society does outcast these children. They throw them off to the side, right, with nothing. Right. So when you encounter a child in the foster system, man, what's it like? Like maybe give me a story of day one. Child comes into your home. <laughs> day one, yeah, absolutely. So you know, I've had sixteen kids, and I think eleven are Caucasian and the five African American. You know, but it was really unique to see a little boy, five year old, come in your house and and say, "Hey, you know, can I stay?" Or look at you, and the next day say, hey, "Can I call you dad?" And、oh. and and、uh, warmed my heart in every way, shape, form. But You could tell that they are looking to belong. They are looking for someone to say it's going to be okay because mom and dad are not there.、Mm-hmm. The system they don't understand it as we understand as adults, and they're moving from one house to the other. Some have、mm-hmm. gone through twelve; it's their twelfth home, and they're coming to my house, and they're like, "Here we go." But somehow. They're resilient to walk in and still look in your eyes and smile and say, "Is that okay if I stay?" And I think for me that always warmed warmed my my heart. You know, my, my last one, my, the one I had, I adopted the fourteen year old. He walked、mm-hmm. in, you know, he walked in and he, I said, "You can call me Mr. Peter," and he said, "But can I call you Dad?" And wow. I mean. You should have seen me just sitting there saying, "Okay, wait. You just walked in. It's been ten minutes, and you want to call me Dad?" And I think for me as a believer, that's kind of where the 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 father role, the role God has given us to be,、uh, in some way, I feel like God. If this is the way,、uh, I'm gonna take it and leave it as, as you, as He sees in me. Like I'll be the dad、right. as I can, 
Uh, right. Uh, and the first day, yes, usually you, you're confused. You're not sure if the kids will uh, accept you or mm-hmm. they will understand you, me being, you know, from a different country yeah. with a different accent. But to right. see their smile and seeing uh, they're content that they're happy to be in your home, uh, you know, makes me of how God loves me on how he has accepted me with every wrong thing I've done, that he still loves me no matter what. Yeah, you know, Peter, that is such a testimony to to who God is. You know, I mean, think about it. God is love, right? He's everything, but God is love. And what what's our first commandment? To love him. Love and then second, to love our neighbors, right? And, and when you look at how love can conquer everything, you mentioned a little bit in there about, you know, you know, having the different ethnicities of the children that came in. But I want to go there for a quick second because it's so cool because I was raised in an area and I'll keep it real. It was an all white town Mm. in Southern California, right? No fault of my own. I was raised there. Then I land a job at a very young age at the Oakland Fire Department Mm. in a predominantly black neighborhood with an all black crew. And I'm the only white guy. Mm. But here's where I'm going with that story is I see the richness of color. I see the richness of culture and I see the richness of everything evolved. But when we lovingly get to know one, one another, it breaks down all the barriers and we get to see the beauty in that. Mm. And we get to see that, man, we're all created in his likeness and we were all created to love and love one another and grow with one another and grow in the kingdom with one another. And, and I just, like I said, man, you're a testimony to so many things else we can talk about that I don't want to, about how true love can break down so many issues that we're going through in society, man. So I, I just really appreciate you touching upon that because as a as a guy who worked as an Oakland fireman for as long as I have, I just hold that near and dear to my heart. That I just want to break right. down stuff. And the only way we can is, is not through our policies, procedures, and politics. It's with the love of Christ, exactly. bro. It's how we yeah. act. It's how we accept and how we embrace them for sure. Yes. 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 Oh, man, that's so amazing. All right. So you've taken on these kids over the years. Now, here's something a lot of people don't realize about me. My wife, we adopted two children. They were my niece and nephew. Right. And people go, okay, what well, was a family member? But here's the struggle that we had. We had a knock on the door. Mm-hmm. And within 10 minutes, we had to decide if we were going to take these two kids in mm-hmm. or if they were going to go into the system. And you know what I mean? Into the system. I know. I know. And and so my wife and I, we were newlyweds. We had a brand new baby with medical conditions. Then we had an eight eight year old and a 16 year old who went through worst case scenarios Mm. on my doorstep. And we didn't know this was coming. We knew that my family was struggling and things were going on, but we didn't know how bad until CPS brought him in the house. And I'm telling you what, man, I'll be honest with you. It was the hardest thing I'd ever done in my entire life. And I think sometimes people don't understand that about fostering is I'm not doing it to push people away. I'm actually doing it to draw people to fostering. That's the hardest thing you may ever do. Mm -hmm. But the most blessings come from some of the hardest situations we've ever gone through. Do you find that through fostering that it's hard at times, but the blessings are just abundant? Oh, man. <laughs> of course, yes. You know, it come, you know, our kids go through trauma. It doesn't matter if they are coming from a relative, like anyone who gets separated from their biological parents. It is always a struggle. And so our kids have that. And I can truly say, yes, it's hiding everywhere. But at the same time, the most rewarding thing to, to, to really know, you know, uh, that in my case, I've learned that they have made me a better human, sometimes 
than I have met them. You know, they've taught me to love. They taught me what passion means. They have taught me how, you know, how to love unconditionally. Uh, and, 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 and we, you know, with Foscare, as, as you know, we get to embrace our kids with everything they come, whatever trauma they have, we get to love them and take it with them and help them let it go along the way. My job is not to yank it off them, but my job is to guide them through as they really drop those uh, issues they've come up with. But my job is to love them in the midst of all that, you know, and I found it. I mean, I thought I was, I thought I was a believer. I thought I was a Christian then when I became a false dad, and so I was like, God, man, I was far from it, you know, yeah. uh, because you, you get to love, you, you know, a kid will call you every name there is on the planet. And then mm-hmm. after, after two minutes, like, dad, do you have dinner? <laughs> exactly. <that's it. laughs> well, dinner. What, what you've said, I've been so blessed to meet so many people on my journey, especially since, you know, I've written my book and I've started the podcast. I've done other things. It's opened up opportunities to talk to folks, honestly, I wouldn't talk to on a daily basis. Like you and I wouldn't be having this conversation right now if we didn't have some experiences in our life and we put it out there. But one thing that is a common denominator I'm hearing from a lot of people in their walk in faith is I'm truly a believer in Peter was saved through his faith alone in Christ alone, 100% can never snatch that away. But when we go through these tough situations, it's when you you stop being a believer, meaning you don't ever stop believing, but you start leaning on the faith and you start becoming a follower because Christ comes alive because the grace that you and I were blessed with that we so do not deserve, we start pouring out on other people like you have done to these children. Mm. You... This kid's cursing at you, treating you like garbage. Right. What's the natural human response? Oh, heck no. Mm-mm. Right. Let's keep right. it real. That's the dad in us. It all comes out in all of us. Right. But what is the Christ alive in us saying to do? Christ is telling us grace upon grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. Upon grace upon. I mean, it never ends, dude. And when you make a statement like that, man, it blesses me wholeheartedly because I'm hearing it over and over again. Through right. people's experiences. Yes. I, I had one kid, he was, you know, he was five, I think. I mean, he would cry for four hours nonstop. He would throw everything out of his room and throw it at me, you know. And then in his fourth hour, he'd look at me and like, Dad, can you hold me? You know? And oh. and, and and for me, sometimes I look at him and was like, You could have told me about two hours ago, you know, I could have held you. But Looking right. back on the other side, every time he did that, I was like, that's how I sin towards God every day. But at the end of my sinful life, he still says, I have you in my hand. Come over, son. You know, the way I looked at that, it, it just made me realize just how I complain every day. You know, how right. I, I don't see God's grace in, in every day, and but yet how he loves me through all that. To love a, right. a five-year-old that, that, that much and... And, and it just really made it real, you know. It, it's no longer something. It's no longer you walk by faith, but you live it. It's it's where you depend on. When these my kids go to bed, it's usually the best time for me to go and to the, you know to to be with the Lord in a quiet time. Yeah. When the days have been long and hard, but at the end of it, when they go to bed and say, "Dad, I love you," you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's, and, and, that's, and that's like, what I call bedtime. That's our yes. dad time. It's our time to. Take everything from the day and all the the struggles, all the the wins, all the loses, everything that we've gone through, and, and reflect upon them as dad time. Man, mm. it's such a beautiful time, man. Mm. Yeah. So, 
here's something I also want to hit with you. One thing I keep hearing again, even we're talking about grace and talking about God is sounds to me like when you're looking up to God and you're following Christ, you're hearing affirming words from him too, right? Our, our Bible, our, our prayer time, everything. I never see it where God doesn't affirm us, even if it's in a correction area of the Bible, because I believe in the Bible. And I, I jokingly say from Genesis all the way to the indices, which I know the end of the Bible's revelation, right, but that's right. why Jason, we're joking. Yeah, there, there's stuff in there where there's correction. There's, oh, whoa, this is kind of, wow, this is what could happen if I don't, you know, type of stuff. But if you think about it, it's all affirming words. It's caring words of the Father. It's loving words of the Father. Right. So even when there's times that children aren't doing things right, we can affirmingly punish them in a safe, loving, and caring way. And as a dad, do you find that sometimes that you have to, and, and I'm going to use the word punish lightly. I'm going to say correct. Can you correct in affirming ways as opposed to maybe the ways people have tried to correct you in your past? Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, I like the way you use like God affirms us in his words, in his word, you know, he's, he's in the Bible. But yes, I, I love using, you know, these 12 words of affirmation in that sense, you know, uh, that uh, when they're angry, to know like, hey, I go to give them an opportunity to be hard. They're angry. I have to, I, I have to hold my back and say, son, sure, I, I'm here. Tell me, what are you feeling? And to be able to let them vent whatever they want to say. But at the end of the day, say, I hear you. I hear you. And I hear you. And sometimes along the way, I say, I hear what you're saying. I understand. But also that you just did or you just said comes with consequences, you know. So I'm not punishing you because I this is this and that. But I want you to show you the best way we can move forward for you and for me as well as we learn each other. So, yes, I, I have learned how to, you know, again, I came from a family where they never gave me an opportunity even to say one word, but really learning to hear my kids out and to say, look, you're known, you're my son, you're chosen, you belong. But he's if we are to survive, if we are to make it through, He's, he's a good way we can do it. And make sure that, too, I am living by example. You know, Ooh. kids get to watch us. Kids get to see what I do, and that's what they do. But how I respond should reflect how I also live my life. So, you know, uh, I've learned ways on how to not tell, but how to live, and they get to see what that means. That is so good, Peter. I mean, that actually just ministered to my heart as a dad in so many levels because we do have a, a 12-year-old and a 14-year-old. And then the two we adopted it. now are, yeah, the two we adopted are, he's 23 and she's now 29. So they've moved into their own homes. And believe it or not, the 23-year-old followed in my footsteps and he's now a fireman. So that's kind of cool right there too. Yeah. But where I was going to go with this is you talking about listening to them and hearing them. Because that's all I wanted as a child was someone to hear how bad I was hurting. Mm -hmm. And and hearing is one thing, but listening means we also ingested it and we felt what the person was saying. Mm -hmm. And when I was growing up, I never felt like I had anyone doing that for me. Mm -hmm. And when I finally, I dropped out of high school in the 10th grade. A lot of people don't realize that because I just couldn't handle it anymore. And I went, and I'm not going to ever say I was homeless, but I went couch surfing. I'd stay a couple days at home. And then when I got fed up with my dad fighting with me, I would then go sleep on other people's couches and hung out on the beaches and did a lot of surfing and stuff. But even then, I was craving some words of affirmation. I was craving people 
that would just listen to me and hear mm. us hurting and just give me a hug. Mm. And so to hear you say that and be able to take it to these children that you foster. And I, even the word foster kind of bugs me. Life's raised. Cause I like to use raise. Right. You're not fostering. You're raising I'm these raising kids. No matter how long they're in your life, you've raised them for a period there. Okay. So as you're raising these kids, just listening and anyone out there who is listening to this and hearing our conversation, think about that when you're dealing with some struggles and dealing with someone who's really driving nuts, maybe they just need to be heard. Mm -hmm. And if you listen to them and then reflect on how you can use words to make their situation better, mm -hmm. that's where blessings can come from, man. So I appreciate you sharing that with us. Oh, so thank good. you. They changed my life, trust me, in every way, shape, form. And, 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 you know, talking to you is like, I've known you for the last 10 years. Why? Because I understand your background. I understand where you came from. But also I understand as a dad, what you've been able to do to really lift up your family and your kids and, and give them a home and safe. So, uh, yes, it, it gives me goosebumps in some oh, way. Right Thanks, and brother. I appreciate it. And oh, yeah, we're going to have more conversation in the future. I know that's for sure. So something I also want to kind of hit you about. So I had to stop working as a fireman because I broke my back and my hips at a fire. And it was a tough thing to leave the fire department, but also a blessing because God said, all right, I'm going to take these 22 years of you being a fireman and now use you in ministry, help you encourage other people, bless other people and keep moving forward. Correct. But one thing that I always fall back upon was in the fire department, we would go to schools, right? And do that stop, drop and roll. Like if your clothes caught on fire, we'd teach kids how to roll around and do all that. But more, more than anything, the kids just wanted to go climb on our fire truck. That's what right. they wanted. We got that. Mm -hmm. But every time I was at school, I would get a lump in my throat because I felt myself at school and people would say, move past it. And I said, well, I do, but I'm never going to let go of it because I want to revisit that to remember how I felt. And then I scan the schoolyard and I find the kids that are the outcast. Right. I find the kid that I know is hurting and I use the pain of my past to help them. So when people say, let the pain go, by all means, don't let the pain drive you into negativity and let the devil or the, the evilness of this world use it for bad stuff. Right. But we can let pain drive us to do amazingly beautiful things. Right. And one of those stories that I remember was a little girl was off to the side and we had all the, the kids in the back of the fire and they're bouncing around acting like little goofballs doing their thing, which is fine. But this one girl silent. So I said, young lady, come up here. You sit in the front seat. And she sits her down. I'm behind the driver's wheel. And we actually took them around the corner with the sirens playing and stuff. Cause back in Oakland, we could do that kind of stuff. We didn't have to follow all the rules. Everyone else did in, in right. the big popular fire departments. Shh, don't tell anyone about that. But we came back to school, but right where going down the street, I looked over at her and I said, do you know why you're sitting in that chair? And she says, why? I said, cause that's the captain's seat. Aww. That is the person that is the man or the woman that is in charge. Hmm. And you, my friend, you young lady are a leader. You see all those boys in the backseat bouncing around, acting like little monkeys and stuff. That's great. Right. But you one day are going to lead those boys. And I want you to understand this, that I see leadership qualities in you. Mm. And when I was speaking to her, I was speaking to her as if I was the child of my past who was struggling mm. and, and in pain. And, and I wanted to speak into that to her to let her know you are someone. Because mm. I know for a fact just by the way she was acting. There's bad stuff going on at home. There's bad stuff going on somewhere. I can't diagnose it on the spot, but being a paramedic for 22 years in West Oakland, one of the busiest systems around, I'm not an idiot either. And I know things happen behind the scenes. Right. And if you can just spend a moment or two just telling people 
you're you're good. Mm. You're creative for something so much better than all this crud you're going through right now. Right. And and as a foster parent, do you find that you can reach back into your past sometimes to those pains and use them to bless the children? Oh, absolutely. I don't think I would be a good dad and a good if I had not if I did not be able to revisit my childhood because I feel like my past give me the foundation on how to be the best I can. I like what you said. We don't, it's not like we are living in the past, but it's part of who we are and we use it as a foundation to go a little above that, you know, the, my kids, uh, I, I, when they're not feeling well, sometimes, you know, kids can be, uh, moody, but you don't know what's happening, but you can engage what's happening. You know, hey, I know you're missing mom. Do you want Do you want us to, to make a phone call? They didn't tell me so, but you get to understand, you know, times when they get to, you know, miss that or feel like they don't belong in my, in my own house, you know? But so what mm-hmm. do I do to make sure that they feel at home? Because they do things I did as a kid if I didn't feel I belonged in some way. So yes, you're right. I think I would say 80% of how I react is based on what I felt as a kid because that helps me to be in the to have empathy but also to be in their shoes to be able to help them that way that I have to revisit constantly my past in order truly to to be there for them so it's not a bad thing that we are visiting the past but it really helps me understand another person so for example uh, you know, you must be, you might be a lady in the office, but you have someone going through divorce on the other side and you went through it. But how do you know, how do you, how can you use your past in order to really encourage them? You know, you know how you felt, you know how you felt when you came to work that you can apply to that to a friend, to a co-worker and say, hey, I know what you're feeling. Do you just want a coffee? Can I just bring you coffee? <laughs> like sometimes you don't have to do much, but having that empathy, I think helps us to connect to people who we would not have been able to connect had we not gone through the same things they are going through. Right. You know, Peter, that I love how you just brought that into light because it's it's so true. It's like with me, even the pain of my childhood, I also reach into the pain I experienced as a fireman. Mm-hmm. Not only just my own pain, but I responded to thousands of scenes of where other people were hurting and mm-hmm. I became part of their story, if you will, right? I as the guy who showed up and tried to do that. And one thing I learned from everything, because Oakland is one of the most diverse cities in the world. People don't realize that when you look at the refugees that we've taken in all around the world, especially after the Afghanistan war and the war in the Middle East and just everything and how, how we're a cultural center that is just so diverse, it's beautiful because I get to learn people. And one thing I've learned is regardless of how someone responds to pain, all their pain all pain is the same. It hurts. You and I stub our toe. I know it sounds silly. It hurts. We may react differently, right? But when loss happens or or tragedy happens, maybe I'm in an area of town where someone's throwing themselves on the ground and, and that's how they're expressing their pain mm. or they're hitting themselves in the chest. That's how they're, they're, they're expressing their pain. Then I go to an other side of town and I look at a family member who just lost someone and they're just shut down quiet. Mm. They're experiencing pain. And when we recognize that pain hurts and everyone has a different response to the pain, we shouldn't judge the response. We should look at it as an indicator of they're in pain and it's the same pain we all feel, man. So I really, really love the way that you tie that together. It's so good. 
So I, I kind of want to transition now because we've been talking about your experiences and fostering and all the amazing stuff that you've done. And, you know, it, it just blesses me on so many levels. But I want to talk about what you're also doing now with the Now I Am Known organization. Let's let's talk about that. Absolutely. So, so Now I'm Known basically came from you know, I was a street kid, but he made me known. I didn't have a home, but he made me known. I didn't have hope, but he made me known. I didn't have education. So he gave me the opportunity to be known and to be heard. And that's what I'm doing for kids in the false care, especially to say, you are not alone. You are known. You are special. You are seen. And the way it came by was, so uh, as I shared with you guys that, you know, the 12 words is what they use. And, you know, I, and I knew once I became a dad, I'll use the same 12 words. So we got a dog and I wanted my, you know, as you know, our kids with trauma, sometimes when they, they, they don't feel right or when they're not happy, you know, they'll shut down and, and no one to talk. But we have mm-hmm. a dog that helps us to really, in some way, as therapy. So I created a bandana and I wrote those 12 words and I put it on our dog. So our dog always has them wherever we go. So even if I didn't say them, so I have them on my steering wheel i have them in my on the on the uh, uh on the fridge and in my closet to remind me and that dog too has it so when they're not able to talk to me at least they get to really play with the dog that, with the words of affirmation and so we created that and then we found out like well what if we made it so we can give it to all other foster kids and also kids in the hospital so we created that we created the, the exact duplicate of our dog who's a, a golden doodle and yeah. wears a bandana and the bandana has 12 words of affirmation so we sell one oh, by the way i quit my job so i can be a full-time dad and do that little business at home you know mm-hmm. and, and force more and, and i would like to adopt more as well so we sell one and then we give one to kids in the false care uh, or uh, at the hospital wow. in some way to also then they know that hey you're chosen you belong you matter and we thank you and we want to get to know you as well so basically that's all we do uh, as an organization just really telling kids and and for me being an advocate for kids to say we know it's hard right. we know where you're coming from but you are known and want to provide a home and a place that is safe for you as well. And so they get to have a plushie, you know, uh, and then we get to sell one uh, as well. Right. Well, that what, what a beautiful business model. Because, I mean, in this world, let, let's keep it real. We have bills. Stuff costs money. We need to do things. But so often... We, we, we go so deep into capitalism, it's all we chase, want the bigger, the next, the next, and we never forget, or, or I'm saying we often forget people around us. Mm-hmm. And what I love about your business model is buy one, give one. Correct. Man, you guys give one away. So every time someone buys one, you guys are giving one away to a kid in a foster home, a hospital, or in need, correct? Yes. So we partner with that Novan Children Health Hospital. We Starlight Foundation. So they give them, they have 800 home uh, uh, hospitals. So they give them to the ill, the very ill kids who spend days in the hospital. You know, so that's how we do it. And they come, we call them twins. So they're plush, they're twins. So one has a special number on it. So one goes to you as a buyer or one goes to the kid. So you always have a number on the other side or you can choose to give both to to the kids. So uh, yeah, that's how we do. And we partner with local agencies. So to make sure that every child that comes in their system or comes within their agency, they get to have 
uh, are plushy. And then and, and and so the the plush is more to do with because my child was in the foscare and he's adapted, and I'm adaptive dad, so they're able to read and say, look, we know it's tough, you know. And my kid is able to say, I was like you, but someone blessed me and gave me a home. And the dog that that we have at home has helped me heal every day by reading these words of affirmation every day that they changed wow. my life. Wow. So. For any organization out there listening to this, think about it. Obviously, coming from the fire department and why my wife being a nurse, my brain just going crazy. Think about fire departments support this. Nurse hospitals, uh, unions, whatever you are that run this, then now I am known. Imagine the good that we could bring to the children that we respond to, the the kids that are hurting, the the lost kids. I mean, I couldn't imagine what it would be like in me in West Oakland, which is one of the most impoverished communities in the United States. Mm -hmm. If I could drop off a little plushie to a little kid, Mm -hmm. as opposed to that little plastic fire helmet. I I mean, you really find those plastic fire helmets sometimes in the gutters because, you know, the kids play with them, they're gone. But to have a kid hold on to a plushie with words of affirmation, Mm-hmm. Peter, that's such a blessing. So anyone out there listening right now, take a look at the Now I Am Known organization. And Peter, if you could do me a favor and let people know where they can reach you, where they can support you, where they can purchase, and also your social medias, that would be a total blessing. So go for it, man. Where can we get a hold of you? Well, for me, he's as you you support or buy one, you help me be a dad. I really, it's my goal, it's my dream to be a dad. And that, that would enable me to be a full-time dad. And so you can buy that plush at nowamknown.com. We also have a, a YouTube, so you get to know our lives. Like you get to learn, let's say you want to be a false parent, but you're like, ah, I don't know. You can follow me because I get really journey with people so they can see, you know, my, my life. So you can go to YouTube. Our channel is uh, nowamnot.com. Uh, you get to see a live. And also I'm on Facebook as Peter Mutabazi and on Instagram as Foster Dad Flipper. I used to flip houses, so that's where the name came. I uh, oh, okay. came from, yeah. So Foster Dad Flipper is my handle for my Instagram as well. Uh, and those are the places you can find us. Again, nowamnone.com, YouTube channel dot, dot nowamnone.com, and uh, uh, Foster Dad Flipper that you get to find me and see again. And I have those social media notes so that they're cool pictures, but so we can journey with others. We can inspire others, especially men. You know, I want to talk to, I want to talk to, especially I'm, you know, I'm a black man uh, and my job is really to inspire our fellow brothers. Like, hey, yes. how can we be part of changing the kids within our community? You know, yes. uh, we, we can't wait for you in Oakland. I live in, in North Carolina. I can't wait for you to come and change the kids here, but I can do it here. So to encourage others to say, hey, our kids need us. It's not just the role of a mom. And, and here's my honest. Most kids in the foster care, especially the boys, lack the dad figures. They are looking for a role model who can say, it's going to be okay. They're not looking for the best house, the best shoe, but someone to say, it's going to be okay. Peter, you hit the nail on the head there. And um, yeah, because you touched something that's so near to my heart because I safely talk about the community that I so loved on for so many years in Oakland. And for me to just do it in a quick little blurb here, it doesn't work. But you hit the nail on the head 
of young men who need father figures in their life. And that's mm. something we tried to provide in the firehouse. Mm. And so I so appreciate you and encourage you for that. And I know um, all the addresses you gave out, they can be uh, mouthfuls, especially for old guys like us trying to remember all the dots and everything. in there. So I don't, the young crowd, they get it all. So I'm going to be posting those in the show notes so everyone can reach you there. Peter, it was such a blessing to have you on today. Thank you so much for, uh, for swinging by and letting us chat with you. Thank you, Jason, for blessing us. And on behalf of the kids all over the world, especially in the United, the United States, we want to say thank you uh, for being a voice. Awesome. Well, thanks for listening to Jesus is All We Need. Tune in next week for another powerful story that will deeply inspire, challenge, and grow your faith. And for more transformational Christian podcasts, be sure to download Edify in the Apple and Android app stores or by visiting edify.app. That's E-D-I-F-I dot app. Thanks for hanging out with us today, my friends. I love you guys. Mm -hmm.